following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. As we get into our sermon today, if you want to pull up on your app, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. We are going to solely be in Luke 10, 1 through 12, those verses we read today. So if you want to pull that up on your phone, Go grab a Bible from the back. That is where we are going to walk today. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance sitting amongst um, several, not several, about 12 of us as part of a a board for our church body, um, the Board of Mission Administration. And we go around and we help set budgets for mission for the district of our church. But then we get to go visit some of these mission places. And it's not only a blessing to see the mission that's happening when we go to different places to see it, but it's a blessing to sit amongst these people who are on this board who have years and years of mission experience. And as we were sitting at lunch one day, one of the pastors who's on this uh, board with me, he had been driving and listening to a podcast, and it's a church leader podcast. And what they had shared is through the pandemic, numbers shifted, but not as crazily as we might think, specifically looking at Worship and discipleship. So worship and discipleship being, you know, Sunday mornings, we did see some drop-off there, but the drop-off more came to um, a point of kind of what we expected. That when worship dropped off, it dropped off about to the amount of regular attendance, which you would say is, hey, this is regularly what we have. In some places it dipped further than that, and where people are rude and jerks, it actually went up. Um, but what we saw was that that, and then discipleship being in the Word together, uh, growing together, that those things are holding steady. But he said it was interesting because there are kind of three metrics church bodies come back to, which is worship, discipleship, and evangelism. And he said it's fascinating because the evangelism number took a big drop-off during COVID. And he's sitting there going, you know, so what do you guys think? Because he's, um, it was this guy, Chris, and then me and my friend Andy, and Andy and I graduated seminary about the same time. So he's, Chris is probably ahead of us, you know, 10, 20 years in the ministry. And so he was kind of going, well, what do you guys see? So kind of looking between generations. And Andy had a really good point where he said, I don't think anymore the idea of walking around and knocking on people's doors and saying, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? He said, I just don't think that functions the way it used to. There there was this idea, it was called Kennedy Explosion. It was an evangelism program that came out of a Presbyterian church in Florida. And it was this big thing in the, uh, I think the 80s and 90s. And it was a script, basically. And it was, hey, you knock on doors. And there were a lot of people who came to know Jesus through this. But like the key line was, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? And I can tell you, generationally, if I opened a door and someone wasn't selling me solar or selling me, you know, hey, your roof needs repairs, the next thing that I would close the door faster on is, if you died tonight, I'd be like, well, this conversation's over. And that has become less and less. And Andy had this keen insight of saying, 
I think we used to measure evangelism based on how many doors we knocked on, which wasn't wrong, but now that has shifted. That evangelism is not the same, yet still the same. And let me unpack that deep thought from Ted for you. There was nothing wrong with knocking on doors and asking people about their salvation. But everything's a cycle. Everything moves in some kind of cyclical fashion. My favorite uh, quote on this is that history may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So it might not be that history is exactly the same as it was, but we've kind of experienced stuff like this before. And so I think as we look at the church and say, hey, worship and discipleship are kind of holding, but then we look and we say, but maybe evangelism's kind of dipping. Well, I think it's less about saying, oh, that old way is broken, and just saying, hey, it's time to rhyme a little differently. It doesn't make it wrong, it just means how has it changed. And as we've talked about how Jesus walks, we've talked about how he walks with us, how he walks with our church, how he walks in our relationships, and today I want to talk about how he walks in our communities. Because the way he walks in our communities is through you and through me. That specifically the church is not only a gift of compassion from the Lord, is not only a gift of comfort from the Lord, is not only a gift of the believers gathered together, but he also says, and here's a mission for you. It's the last thing he talks about before he leaves. Right? Like, here are the disciples gathered around Jesus. He's about to just peace out straight up into the sky. And he goes, listen, before I leave, as we're all gathered here, let me tell you, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have taught you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. It was ascending of his people to say, listen, Following me is not just about building enclaves and saying, Jesus is so great, we're going to go heaven. The rest of you, it stinks. See you later, right? Like that's not what he said. He goes, no, we want people to be a part of this. In fact, in John 3, right after 3.16, he says, for the Son came not just to be in the world, but to save it. So he comes for the world. Now, what would be incredible is if Jesus just stayed alive and goes, listen, I'll take care of this. You guys just chill out and I'll just bring everybody to me. But God cares so deeply about us as his creation that he doesn't only save us, he gives us purpose. And he says, listen, I'm going to send you as my people. Now, sometimes for us, that gets tricky because we like to think about, God, those people you send are going somewhere else, right? They're going to China. They're going to Africa. They're going to Eastern Europe. You know, th th those are the people you're sending. And God has a good laugh and goes, okay, well, who am I sending to your neighborhood? Who am I sending to the place where you work? And the answer is you. We have this moment in the book of Luke where Jesus has been walking through his ministry. And as we think about 
what Jesus' ministry looked like, we can think of concentric circles. So you have Jesus at the center. Now, right outside that center, you have 12 people. And those are the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, right? So that's the inner circle, the core. Now, outside of that, you have groups of people who keep traveling with him, who wouldn't have been part of the next circle, which would be the big crowds that show up, but they're not quite the disciples. So Jesus looks around and says, hey, I'm going to be going to these places, but I'm going to send some people out ahead of me. And so this would be from that kind of think 75 to 150 folks who were just following Jesus, but they weren't quite the disciples. So he takes from the disciples and from these people, and two by two, he sends them out. And this is where we get our reading this morning. So if we look at one through three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. First of all, two by two. Never alone. As we think about Jesus walking into the community that he sends us, first thing we realize is never alone. That we always want to be going with others. Because the message of Jesus is even better when it's two, but also there's encouragement when you're going with people. One of the blessings of being a part of the Harvest Partnership, which is the church planting partnership we're a part of, is is one of their phrases is, no one left behind. That it would be very easy to do a lot of what we do alone and then feel alone. But I know within that partnership, there are so many people I can call when I'm having a bad day to say, hey, man, following Jesus is tough today. So Jesus sends two by two because he says, listen, you're not alone. I'm with you. And remember what we read from Matthew last week, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So here we go, two are sent out. Then he gives us the classic verse we start every worship with. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love this because it reminds us of what's going on as we step out into the harvest field. So often I think it's easy for us as people of God to say, I know God's given me this mission. I know he's put it this way. And then we own all of it. We go, I have to know it all. I have to do it all. I have to all these things. But no, like you are going into the harvest field. He's prepared the harvest. You're just stepping in to reap. That he's the one doing all this work. We get to step in. Is it going to be hard work? Yes. Anyone here been a part of a harvest before? Sweet. Paul, yes. All right, we got one. Not easy work, right, Paul? Not easy work. but we don't have to worry about the rest of it because the Lord says, listen, I've taken care of that. Just work in the harvest fields. And then he says this next great thing. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Thanks, Jesus. Right? That's one of those verses that you go, Jesus, what if we just prayed about like the harvest thing and didn't talk about the wolves thing? Like that would be great. 
But Jesus is about truth. He goes, listen, it's going to be tough. And then he continues and he goes, oh, by the way, don't bring with you money, knapsack, sandals, and don't say hi to anybody along the way. So you're going, all right, Jesus, so what you're telling me is if my sandals break, I'm out of luck. If I get hungry, bad news. You know, if I got to stop for gas, what's that about? But what he's telling them is in this moment, he's saying, trust me for provision. Trust that as you walk out, as I send you, I will provide. That even amongst wolves, I am providing. Now, what I don't want you to do is take in and say, okay, so when I do this, I shouldn't take any of that stuff with me. We've got to remember what Jesus is doing here. He's sending them out as an example of what they will be doing when he leaves. The sending of the 72 isn't the be-all, end-all. It's training wheels. Because what he's saying is he's going, listen, don't take these things, I'll provide. Because he's preparing them for a time where he's going to go, I won't be here and you've got to trust that I'm going to provide. So he sends out two by two into the places he's about to go. He continues by saying, whenever you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if a son or daughter of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you. This is a significant verse because so often, and maybe it's just me, but I'll, I'll speak to this idea that I think we fall into two categories. Either we're not worthy to talk about who Jesus is, we feel that, or we feel like we got to be Billy Graham. Where it's like, fill me a stadium and everyone I meet, I'm going to convert. And that brings a lot of guilt with it on either end of the spectrum. If I don't know enough, I feel the guilt. If I'm not converting enough people, I feel the guilt. And here Jesus says, listen, if a person of peace is there, and the next verse says, remain, stay. So what's a person of peace? Well, look at the things that are absent when they're sent out. They need food. They need money. They need, you know, sandals. They need those things. So what is a person of peace? A person of a peace is someone who provides and serves to your needs. Now, don't get this mixed up in saying, oh, when I do evangelism, people are going to give me things. It's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that when you encounter someone whose heart God has prepared for you to meet, who is a person of peace, you're going to be like, why does this person care about me so much? Like there's this weird level of friendship that is here that I don't get. Maybe you should be looking and seeing, is this a person of peace? Is this someone who's strangely looking out for me and caring about my needs and my wants? Because God is calling me to care about their eternity. He keeps going and says, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from there to house to house. Especially as Americans, there is a temptation for us to take our economic systems and place them on evangelism, right? What is the good form of evangelism? Well, a good form of evangelism is the evangelism that keeps on evangelizing, right? The MLM evangelism. 
listen, if you evangelize one person and they evangelize three people and those three people evangelize three more people, you know, and all of a sudden, evangelism becomes a pyramid scheme. Now, I'm not talking that there can't be a multiplication in the midst of evangelism, but what God is saying here is he's like, listen, your help, your hope, what I'm sending you to do is those people. They are not a commodity. I care for them and I sent you as the person. So you're not there to show up to find them to, you know, keep doing, you're, you're there to care for them and watch what I do with that. Watch what I do in the midst of that. So a person of peace is someone who has a care for you, who might be taking care of some of your needs, who either doesn't know the Lord or is far from Him. That you have an opportunity to share who Jesus is. And it doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, uh, apologetics. It is just... Staying and remaining with them. A couple weeks ago, we had men's breakfast, and uh, Chris Solomon did a great job leading our uh, devotion, and he was talking about evangelism. And what I loved about it is he shared a couple opportunities he had had, and he shared, he was like, and I was scared. I was like, Chris, in terms of people who are scared of things, like you are bottom of the list for me of like things that may scare you. But here he's talking from his heart about evangelism sharing, going, all right, Lord, I'm going to do this. And it was so encouraging for me because he had lined up talking about these people of peace in his life that he had met at work. And he listened to where the Lord led. Because people of peace may be at the places you work. It might be at the places you have fun. It might be the places your kids have school or have sports and it could be anywhere in between. It could be your physical neighbor that God has put you in a neighborhood because someone two doors down needs to know him. And the idea of the person of peace is not that you have to knock on the door and immediately say, hey, if you died tonight, where would you go? But instead you said, hey, I saw your trash can was out, so I pulled it in for you. And then you're there. Because what I have seen in my short time as a pastor is evangelism works more than not in years instead of minutes. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that the Lord's going to go, there it is, right? The Apostle Paul, he goes, you know, one day he's like, kill all the Christians. And the next day he's like, I'm a Christian. Listen, that's Jesus at work. He's going to do it. But I think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Philip, who we talked about over the summer, where this Ethiopian eunuch, I had always read this story thinking about, wow, that quick conversion, but he was actually reading the book of Isaiah when Philip shows up. So someone beforehand had connected him with the word of God. He would have been on the outside of all of this. So someone had to connect him with the book of Isaiah that he had dug deep enough in that. And so Philip comes along down the line because here's the deal. In scripture, we see that God says, listen, some people till, some people plant, some people water, but it is God who provides the growth. What the person of peace gives us is to say, listen, my hope and prayer for you is that you will know the Lord. But even if that is not my job, I still love you the way God's called you. 
And as, you, as long as you remain a person of peace, I stay. Because watch what happens next. This is like, it's a lot of fun to read Luke 10, 1 through 10, and just stop. Because it's like, yeah, Jesus, we're doing it. And then you get to verse, or through 9, because then you get to verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Listen, not sure that's a great thing to say. I like skipping that part of this scripture verse. Because then it'll go on and say, hey, and these are Jesus's words, right? This is from his mouth. He says, it's going to be worse for that town than for Sodom. And Sodom died in fireballs. And he's going, it's going to be worse for them. But here's the thing. What that's giving us is the permission to let go of the guilt. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, one of the things that stops us is what if I fail? What if it goes wrong? What if I share the story of Jesus with someone and they hate me for it? Well, Jesus says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. There it is. What this piece is, is it's a chance to say, I'm giving this back to God. Because who's to say that that town won't have someone else who comes through and they listen? It's a chance to let go and say, this is the Lord's. Whenever we look through Scripture and we find justice, true justice, it is not the justice of man, but the justice of God. And actually we find health for people when they let go of the vigilante idea of we, we parse out justice and instead they release it and they say, justice belongs to the Lord. Throughout the Psalms we see this where David says, your justice, Lord, not mine. So while this 10 through 12 seems incredibly harsh of saying, listen, we're going to wipe even the dust that clings to our feet. We're going to wipe it off at you. And it's going to be worse than fireballs at the end time for you. That is releasing it to the Lord to say, Lord, this is not on my shoulders. This is your harvest field. And if the field is fallow, that's, that's not me. Now, it doesn't excuse you walking up to a field and going, oh, that's a fallow field. I just don't need to do this. But instead, it's learning about to say, I know there are certain people in my life who I long to be the person who shares who Jesus is to them and they come to know him. And I have learned that in some of these people's lives, I am not that person. And it breaks my heart. Because these are some people who have never known the Lord. These are some people who have walked in the faith and have left. And my heart is burdened because of the friendship I've had with them. And I have had to say, Lord, this is yours, not mine. You see, when Jesus walks into communities, he sends you. He sends me. And that's a hard thing for us as Christians sometimes to walk with because part of our faith is being sent. Now, 
We know in Ephesians it says that some were given to different things and some were given to be evangelists. Now listen, when you meet an evangelist, you know it. Because those, man, you just sit back and go, wait, you just talked to that person for like five minutes and all of a sudden they're at church with you? And like, you're like, yeah, this is my friend so-and-so. We met here. And then like, and an evangelist you meet and wow, they can rattle it off. And they're good and they love people. And wow. So maybe not all of us are evangelists, right? Maybe we're not walking into the places we go and it's everyone, but all of us have been given the mission to share Jesus. So maybe it's not you're a full-on evangelist, but that doesn't mean you're not part of the mission. That doesn't mean that God hasn't put you in a place to share who He is. That doesn't mean He hasn't prepared your workplace, your neighborhood, your kids' soccer fields, you know, your retirement activities, whatever they are. He hasn't prepared that place specifically for you to be sent to it. The one that scares me, he might specifically have prepared your HEB for you to be there later today. Write some random person. We look and we say, listen, this is the Lord's. It's His harvest field. I don't have to feel the guilt. I rejoice when someone comes to know Him and I release if someone does not. It's not on me to be the person who decides the harvest, I just go and work his harvest field. That every Sunday when we pray for the harvest, we're not just praying for those other churches, we're praying for us too. That we would be sent out as the 72 were sent out to the places where we live, work, and play. Because if we know Jesus and he is good, why would we not want to take that message where we go? Now, it's very simple. And here at Narrative Church, we're going to keep talking about this more and more. We want to give you the tools to be less afraid. To learn how to tell your story of Jesus. Here's what I can promise you, is that it'll never be easy. There will always be an aspect of trust. A good friend of mine, Mark, shared a story one time of of someone who he'd been in that kind of friendship with, and he had had to give them some harsh news, and I loved what he said. He said, I got on the phone to call them, and the first thing I did as the phone was ringing was I prayed, Lord, your words, not mine. That's the greatest thing you can do for evangelism, for sharing who Jesus is, is saying, Lord, your words, not mine. Because if you're worried, are my words going to be perfect? They're not. Is my knowledge going to be perfect? It won't. But the God who created the universe dwells in you. And He has sent you as His people to those places. And He will not let you down. Some days it may be the person who says, nope, I hate it. You know what? The Lord's going to be there to comfort you in the midst of it. Some days it will be the person of peace who says, I just don't understand how you follow Jesus. I just don't understand how you go to church. I just don't understand my life's falling apart and I've seen what you've experienced. I've seen the heartache and the joy in your life, but you live in this way that there's something more. What is that about? He is there 
in the midst of that as well. Because the joy of Jesus walking and sending us walking out is those final words he gives to us as he ascends to heaven. I am with you always to the very end of the age. When the 72 come back, they rejoice and say, Lord, even the demons obeyed us in your name. And he said, oh yeah. I have the, I have the power. I have the authority. And I've given it to you. We talked about Jesus walking with you. That power of the Gospel in the cross is not just salvation. Salvation is the foundation. But He keeps giving. He says, listen, you have my authority wherever you go. Because I dwell in you. So don't waste it. Be a worker in the fields. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks that You would send us. Let us continue to be Your church, to be a sent people. Let us rest in the fact that it is Your work, not ours, that it is Your harvest, not ours. We are just faithfully working the fields. Call us to follow You and declare Your name wherever we go. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.